Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. back to another episode of NucleCast. Today, we are doing something a little different. We have never had an attorney on the show uh, or a retired JAG on the show. Today, we are breaking all of our norms and we are doing just that. We have Dave Jonas. Now, you may or may not know Dave. If, if you don't, you're in for a treat. And if you do, then you already know why he's a great guest. He is a partner at the law firm of FH&H, and he is the former general counsel for NNSA. He's got a long career working nuclear issues, nonproliferation. He teaches at, at uh, Georgetown and at uh, George Washington Law Schools, teaches on nonproliferation there, and he is a retired Marine Corps JAG. And uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Adam. We're glad to be here. Now you now this this is why we have you. People will be like, why why are we talking about legal stuff? But you just wrote an article that is about the ideas floating around that would change the president's ability to launch nuclear weapons. And you know, it's fascinating article, fascinating topic, and I'm pretty confident that our viewers are going to love this episode. Excellent. I hope so. So your article was in uh, the Journal of National Security Law, and it is a detailed, in-depth discussion of the arguments that are out there, and then you come to a conclusion on what you think we should do. Can you give the listeners a synopsis of the article and your conclusions. Sure. Um, thanks, Adam. And the the uh, the article that the law review article that just came out is a is a kind of full expose of the um, the initial article. It came out about a year ago in Arms Control Today, a, a much shorter version of this sure. current article, uh, with a lot of absent a lot of the legalese in there. But essentially, it examines, well, first of all, I think everybody is aware that many people have been discussing, uh, you know, whether the president should have this this authority, this unilateral authority to simply launch a nuclear weapon, which, uh, quite frankly, he does now have um, unilaterally with with really very little restraint of any kind on on that authority. Uh, And we're talking about here, of course, a, a first strike. In other words, we, we deal in the article with, uh, of course, a second strike. If we're already under attack or a, an attack appears imminent or something like that, then these, these, this would not apply. But in the case of the president simply deciding unilaterally to, to launch a first strike, many people have kind of gotten nervous as they look back over presidential history and they see President Kennedy, who was under the influence of uh, painkillers for much of his presidency, uh, President Nixon, who who was often drunk uh, during his presidency, particularly during the Watergate 
times when, when he was obviously under a lot of strain. For President Trump, uh, most of the people uh, thought that, that, that he might be perhaps too impulsive to be able to uh, uh, handle that, although, quite frankly, his presidency uh, did not start any new wars or launch any nuclear weapons or anything like that, and, and to his credit. And when, when I heard this in the Trump presidency, I thought, gee whiz, that's just the Democrats saying this about President Trump. But yet those same voices maintained that position uh, when President Biden became president. And, um, uh, of course, many people out there believe that he is, is senile and, and is simply not, not capable of reacting quickly enough. Now, without getting political about this, um, and, of course, you know, the interesting thing is uh, – I want to just take a quick sidelight here on, on deterrence because the funny thing is that the more, um, shall we say, unpredictable or uh, irrational a president is perceived as, for example, as President Trump may have been perceived or as President Bush, the second President Bush may have been perceived as perhaps uh, he was called a cowboy sometimes. That's actually better for deterrence, quite frankly, because the, our enemies Absolutely. then are not are not really sure, you know, when he's going to uh, push that button. And there's not, there's no button, but, but, uh, uh, you know, the, give the order. Not, whereas a president like president Obama or president Biden, who is viewed as perhaps much cooler or perhaps much, much, uh, less inclined to a use of nuclear weapons or to that kind of an impulsive action is not, not as good for deterrent purposes. So that's just an interesting sidelight on that, that I think it's important to mention. But from a um, from a from a perspective, this got me thinking about it because when those same voices uh, made, made the same argument for President Biden, then I really began looking hard at this issue and saying, you know, there, there's something there. So in doing research, uh, we came across a number of uh, of um, and my co-author on this article, Bryn McWhorter, who, who uh, is is a, a lawyer out in town at. Uh, at one of the big law firms and was one of my students at GW Law School. Um, when we did the research, we came across all these different proposals that are kind of out there about having uh, other senior actors in government have a, have a handle on this, including maybe the uh, Speaker of the House to concur or the, you know, the big, the, the big major players in Congress, you know, the majority leader and the minority leader, the, those kinds of things in the Senate. And then even a proposal about having Supreme Court justices play a role in this. And uh, that, all that to me seems a bit silly when you're going to bring in the, uh, the Supreme Court that, that is kind of configured to produce opinions in a matter of months, not a, not a, not a matter of seconds like you literally have to, to decide on, on a nuclear weapon uh, launch. You know, we look at uh, Dr. Strangelove, which is one of my favorite movies that I show to my class every year. And of course, we, we see, you know, they have about 30 minutes and that you see the planes moving as they try to make this decision. In this age of, of hypersonic weapons and cruise missiles and submarine launched uh, ballistic missiles, uh, there, there is not that kind of time to, to make these kinds of decisions. And so uh, decisions have to be made, made quicker. Now, of course, we're talking about a first strike here. Um, so for the president who has that unilateral authority, question is, are we comfortable with that? I think each listener should ask themselves, are you comfortable with one person who may be having a very bad day uh, or may be under the influence of alcohol or painkillers or drugs or, or God knows what? Um, uh, should that person who is human, just like us, and we all have bad days, 
have that kind of authority to unilaterally launch and get, get us into a possibly world-destroying end-of-world event. And I, when I really thought about it, I believe, no, that, that should not be the case. So then how do you limit that authority solely for, for first launch? So when we looked at, at the options here, of course, bringing the Supreme Court in just seemed silly. I dismissed that rather out of hand. When you talk about spring, bringing in the Speaker of the House, you know, when you have different political parties, we all are somewhat familiar with the relationship or non-relationship perhaps between President Trump and Speaker Pelosi. I mean, could you imagine having having to have those two consult? Uh, you know, they didn't even speak for, for over a year. So <laughs> that's impractical. Um, yet, on the other hand, you don't want the president going to to someone who, you know, who works for him, certainly not somebody too far down in the bureaucracy who could be cowed by presidential authority. So it's got to be somebody very senior. And the vice president, of course, is in the pre in the presidential chain of 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 uh, of of, of um, command. The pre ch ch yeah, chain of command, and is undoubtedly already briefed into uh, operating nuclear weapons. The vice president also. Most people don't think of it this way or don't don't view it this way. But the fact of the matter is that other than the president, the vice president is the only leader nationally elected. Um, no one else. No no all the congressional members obviously elected by state or district. Supreme Court justice is appointed. So, you know, the vice president is not going to be cowed by the president saying, hey, you have to do this or, or else or else what? And the secretary of defense once confirmed, you know, the secretary of defense is a big boy. Um, and you look at who's held that that role and they're not going to be cowed by a president. So it seems to me that the, the logical people to make this decision, to concur in this decision, would be the vice president and the secretary of defense. Now, we those, those two individuals should always be available. I'm sure they're very easy for the president to reach, but in some, you know, if, if for some reason they're not, they can't get hold of the Secretary of Defense, then we do make clear that it should be the, uh, either the Deputy Secretary of Defense. Uh, can't be, we don't want it to be an acting official because it's too easy to appoint acting officials. They've not been confirmed by the Senate. That can be someone who has not, an acting official can be somebody who has not had any kind of a, uh, you know, a national senatorial right. review of their qualifications. So it, it's got to be somebody that, that who has been confirmed. Uh, I am very sure that, that they would be able to locate in an emergency the, pres the Secretary of Defense or the uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense. But if not, would probably then uh, go to the Secretary of State, who's actually senior to, uh, to the Secretary of Defense. Uh, but... This, the problem with the Secretary of State is that that official is is kind of uh, uh, their job is making peace, really, not making war. Um, obviously, the Secretary of Defense plays in to these national security decisions, but uh, other people have suggested the Attorney General, for example, should have a be able to weigh in here. But the, the Attorney General simply does not um, weigh in on national security matters like this enough to be familiar enough with it. That, again, seems to be taking it a little bit too far off. And when, when we look at nuclear nonproliferation, for example, the Secretary of State plays a significant role, State Department, in, in those, those kinds of issues. So, again, we can debate how this would happen. And, of course, we proposed in that article actual legislation to, uh, to make this happen. Um, and the, the thing is that there, there, there was a case, a Supreme Court case, that sort of details 
presidential powers. And legally speaking, the when you look at how the framers set up the Constitution, the goal was to prevent something like the English king that they were they were you know running from. So they separated the the war powers into the congressional into the congressional and, and executive branches. So it would be you know, so there'd be some tension there, some dynamic tension. And the way the Supreme Court listed it, the Supreme Court w- would always defer to the uh, executive branch on, that's another reason why the Supreme Court to have them play in this is utterly ludicrous because the courts have made clear in the past that such actions are to be handled by the political branches, not by the judicial branch. So the, the court's view of presidential powers is that they are at their zenith when they are acting pursuant to a, a congressional delegation of powers and that they're in sort of a zone of twilight where, they're op- where the president operates without any clear congressional approval or disapproval. And they're at their weakest presidential powers when they are operating pursuant to a to clear congressional disapproval. So there's, there's that tension there. And, and so if, if there was legislation passed that made clear that the president would need to uh, obtain this concurrence, um, I, think, I think it would be viewed as reasonable given that those two officials are in the administration. And I think it would give us all a little bit better uh, ability to sleep at night knowing that one person having a very bad day could not decide to, to launch a nuclear weapon as a first strike. So... Your ultimate conclusion is that you do think there needs to be a check on the president's authority to launch. So if that being the case, if you don't mind, if I'll put, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. So as you know, I've spent my career working nuclear issues and working on behalf of senior officials. And the one thing that, that I've experienced over that time is that whether it was, you know, President Obama or, you know, Secretary Mattis or others, that no decision is ever taken lightly. And it, you know, everything is done with, you know, you've got a national security advisor who is in constant discussion. You generally will have the chairman of the joint chiefs, sec def. I mean, if, if let's say the president's you know, if he calls for a, you know, a, a conference to discuss, you know, nuclear use, you're going to have, you know, SecDef will be on it, uh, Stratcom Commander will be on it. So it's whenever I hear discussions of, you know, the president makes makes these decisions, you know, unilaterally. I guess he has the ultimate authority to make the decision. But the president's never going to make a decision unilaterally. He's going to only do it with significant advice. I mean, he doesn't even know. I mean, you know, our our presidents don't participate in in any sort of nuclear exercises. They wouldn't know what the targeting packages were. They have so little substantive knowledge that it's only going to be with significant advice from the Stratcom commander in particular, that they may say, yes, let's do that. And so I I have less fear just because I know no president's going to go off half cocked and start launching yeah. weapons. And so to me, you know, it's kind of a, a problem or a solution in search of a problem 
just because of how the whole process actually works and how many people are involved and how the president has to be given, hey, we here's A, B, and C, and here's what we could and couldn't do. And and so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, am, am I wrong in my, you know, thought of sort of the complexity and the need for lots of input and, you know, in contribution, even if there is ultimately one decider? Um, great question. And very, very uh, relevant question and, and an important one. I, I think um, that, you know, you, you kind of, again, going back to Dr. Strangelove, you know, like they knew something was wrong when, when this order came out of the, 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 the bomb group uh, or whatever in the middle of nowhere uh, at Burbelson Air Force Base. The, the commander, General Ripper there, had, had that authority. But, but I think that what we're looking at, remember, is the worst day. We all know how, as you just said, Adam, uh, very, very uh, thoroughly described how the normal, normal, I emphasize, normal course of events would be for use of nuclear weapons. Now, you know, we recall when, uh, you know, when when there was a, there was fear, I think, that Trump, President Trump might, uh, you know, do something crazy. And I think we, we saw uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Milley, uh, go to several people and sort of insert himself into that chain of command. Well, you know, from my point of view, that's, that was an illegal action. He had yeah. no authority to do that. Absolutely. He's not in that chain of command. He's an advisor. But, you know, so these are the things that can happen when, when people perceive that there may be a risk. But be that as it may, um, I, I do think you're right in the sense that if, if the order just came down and everybody, you know, is hearing their radios on, like in, in Dr. Strangelove, they know nothing's on the news. They know nothing's going on. All of a sudden, they're just sitting there, you know, watching, uh, you know, reruns of Breaking Bad or something, and, and they, they all of a sudden get this order to launch. You know, I think people are going, you know, going to question it. But the, the problem is they're trained, you know, to follow the order when it comes down. And there's all these processes to verify that order from the codes and the launch codes and then the the turning of the keys and all these things that have to happen. So I think the question then becomes is the, as the order travels, you know, down the chain of command to Stratcom and to the, to the guy in the missile launch or, or in the, on the submarine, are they going to launch it? And that's always the question. I mean, when you get down to that level, to the guy who actually is truly turning the key and launching the weapon, but yet, what we're talking about here is the rare case, not the normal case, not, not where things happen normally, where there's all the appropriate consultations and everybody's involved and everybody knows something's going on in the world where we might need to launch a nuclear weapon or we might need to go to war. We're talking about a day like today where the sun's shining, everything's normal, and all of a sudden the president just goes off the rails and says, we're going to launch. Have that's, we ever? That's the. Have we ever had a day like that? I mean, have we? No, not, no. No, but yet we, we, we deal, particularly in, in academic settings, we deal with possibilities, you know, and, and we deal with the possibilities that legal authority grants. And that's where, that's where this becomes very relevant because that legal authority exists for the president on a nice day like this, where there's no threat on the horizon, no meetings going on. You know, maybe it's a weekend, maybe everybody's out golfing. And, and there's no threat of anything on the horizon. The 
president says launch. That's the circumstance that we're we're dealing with here because that legal authority exists. It it, it so, does, so, but you're still going to have a presidential decision conference. You're still going to call in the sec def. You're still going to call in the stratcom commander. You're still going to do all. You have to do all those things. And so I, I just wonder. I, my challenge is, I mean, I, I understand politics or politics and sure, you know, the, sure. if you go back and pull out, you know, I've, I've thought about writing an article sort of on this topic uh, that discussed what they said Reagan was going to do. Because if you go back and you read the New York times articles and you read the LA times and the Washington post and Reagan was going to kill us all. We, the American, the foolish American people elected this crazy cowboy who was going to kill us all. It's, it's, there's, it's a no brainer. It's going to happen. And then yet he was the one guy who tried to eliminate all nuclear weapons. Yes. Yes. So, so I, I mean, I guess I'm just, I, I'm, I worry a lot about second and third order effects that we can't predict. And so I, I now have a system and and I, I, I appreciate you writing the article because it's an important topic to, to talk about. And, you know, not talking about it doesn't really, you know, it's not iron sharpening iron if we don't write and talk about it. And But I wonder if we've never had sort of a close call on this one where, you know, you pick a president, just got pissed and said, I'm going to nuke those SOBs. Uh, you know, that that never has happened. Then I wonder if you if you then create legislation what could happen that we don't foresee and that's that's sort of where you know because washington's kind of a vicious place and there's lots of personal agendas and aspirations for power that are taking place on any given day uh so i i I wonder what is that second or third order effect that we're not predicting that'll take a system that we've never even had a close call you know, Trump was sort of similar. Yeah. He, you know, I just finished Mike Pompeo's, uh, you know, book. And near the end of the book, he says, hey, listen, Trump said he was going to do these things and he never started a war. He got us out. He, you know, he did what he said he was going to do. And, and it's a fair point to make that the ones who are the seem to be the biggest cowboys tend to be the sort of the most conservative in the use of military force. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. You're right. I have not read that book, but but that's uh, I'm not surprised that that's what what he says because it's all true. But I I mean, if you look at when when nuclear weapons were actually considered, I mean, you you look at you know MacArthur had recommended their use in the, the Korean War, uh, in the in the Cuban Missile Crisis, the the military was pushing for use of nuclear weapons uh, on Cuba, and um, so in that sen- instance, there you have kind of the bureaucracy, so to speak, or the, those surrounding the president actually pushing for nuclear weapons, and the president saying no. Right. Um, and, and, you know, here we're talking about an instance where the president, where nobody's saying use nuclear weapons, and the president says use them. Now, so the question then is, is the, you know, is everyone going to, you know, simply walk away from the table and say, you know, we ain't doing that. And, and of course, ideally, that would be the right response. Um, you know, given that there's absolutely no reason to use nuclear weapons um, and that the president is unbalanced. That's actually perhaps uh, an argument for the, the application of the 25th Amendment, that the president's lost his mind and, you know, the cabinet can vote. And 
and push the president out. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the AMLA Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. So is, is that then the solution is the, do we have an existing solution? Like if we have a clearly crazy president, right? People said Reagan had dementia. People are now saying, you know, Biden has something similar just because of age. And so if, you know, and I, in conservative circles, everybody thought that, you know, they, they were dead set that Kamala Harris was going to ultimately be the president because they were going to remove Biden and it was a conspiracy and, you know, whatever. But, you know, there's a process in place if the president is for whatever dementia or physical ailment, you know, Reagan got shot, whatever, to have somebody, st- the vice president step in, you know, in his stead. And so I wonder, because, you know, whenever I look at scenarios, like as a, you know, I've done some future studies the for the Air Force. And as I, you know, we look at futures, we're looking at trying to build sort of real futures that are tangible futures. And I wonder what is that real tangible future in which the case you're worried about comes to fruition? Like what, what do you see as a, whether who, whether it's Biden or whether it's Trump, whoever, what's that real tangible scenario? I think the real, tan- and that's a, a great question. I think the real tangible scenario, though, is one where the president isn't high on dope or, or drunk or, or acting clearly senile, but where he says, look, you know, the North Koreans, we all know what they're up to, and, and we know they're about to move, they're about to launch, or they've, they've done too many launches. We, we need to hit them first before they attack South Korea. You know, something where there is, where there is you know, a plausible that, that makes sense mm-hmm. from a from a national security standpoint. It's somewhat plausible, but yet it would still be a first strike. And you could actually see an instance where there might be a number of people in that inner circle agreeing with that proposed course of action. In other words, something not so totally outlandish that there's no basis for it at all. In fact, um, you know, is it is it could it be China's? rapid buildup? Could it be an attack on Iran uh, where, where they're about to launch on Israel, that kind of thing, and, and put the Middle, Middle East on flame, aflame? So it, it could be that that's the kind of scenario that I worry about in this context where, where there's not, you know, where it's not so clearly an insane thing to do, but there's at least a plausible and semi-rational argument for it, although might, most might not agree with it. You know, and everybody might be scratching their heads, but, you know, the president's convinced this needs to be done. And he's he's talking rationally and seeming rational. He's not not seeming crazed and he's making sense. And he's he's convinced we need to make this first strike. We need to do it now. And do you and he's presenting it plausibly. Do you see what then do you see like like you said earlier that. 
you know, once we're under attack or imminent attack, that the president would be able to to defend the nation, to act. How, what kind of mechanism would you propose that would distinguish, you know, you know, free to use nuclear weapons, not free to use nuclear weapons? How do you distinguish between those two such that you know very clearly this is an instance in which you need to get, you know, vice presidential approval. This is an instance in which you do not. Yeah, we, we actually set that forth in the in, in the proposed legislation where we separate the, the first use from second use, where, where, in other words, where the United States contemplates the use of nuclear weapons in response to a nuclear attack launched against its U.S. territory, its forces, or its allies, or an imminent threat of such attack, any use will be deemed second use. So we actually make that definition clear uh, to separate first use and second use in the proposed legislation, because I think you have to do that. I think there's got to be a clear line of demarcation between what, you know, where you're cutting off presidential authority and, and requiring concurrence versus when the president not only can respond, but has a duty to respond if you're either under attack or an attack is imminent. Another article I've, I've been working on is, uh, which should be coming out soon, is the Caroline Doctrine, which talks about when you can attack in self, you know, preemptively in self-defense. And unfortunately, the Caroline Doctrine, a legal, legal doctrine developed by none other than Daniel Webster when the prevailing weapons were muskets and bows and arrows. Uh, here we are in an age of hypersonic missiles, and we're still talking about the Caroline Doctrine being applicable. It, it makes absolutely no sense. So that's, a, that's a, an issue for another day. But you, you, you understand that, that there has to be that, that possibility of striking first where an attack is viewed as imminent. Sure. All the intelligence says, you know, you, you can literally see them firing up their launchers or, or whatever it may be. I wonder, you know, it's um, I'm sort of fired up here lately that, and it's got me thinking about the regulatory state, you know, where you have legislation passed that sort of has a finite agenda. And then once the regulatory state gets involved, it creates a behemoth. And so, like, if you think that, you know, the, there's a new fee that through executive order, uh, President Biden is imposed on all people getting loans with good credit are now going to pay, you know, a, a, a fee yes. so that so that people with bad credit can get loans. And that was never part of any piece of legislation. That was a executive right. order that I now have to pay extra money. And so I wonder, you know, that was well beyond any legislation. So your legislation may seem reasonable, but how can it go terribly wrong? Because I'm always concerned about how things can go well beyond what they were designed to do. Yeah, you're, you're getting into, again, the legal concept there that you're referring to, of course, is Chevron deference, where, where the Supreme Court has always has, has set up a, a rule where the agencies are Courts are required to defer to the agency's expertise in, de in defining their own regulations, which, of course, is where, where, where you know, which, which to me, and I'm a conservative, it makes no sense to me because the, uh, you know, we want the legislators telling us what to do, not bureaucrats. And that, that's the issue there. And we're about to see a Supreme Court ruling on that that may well reverse Chevron deference. But, of course, in this legis uh, legislative uh, 
proposal, essentially. Um, this is the legislature saying to the president what, what I had referred to earlier from a, the Youngstown case, a, a Supreme Court case during the World War II era, about when the presidential when presidential authority is at its peak, at, at a zone of twilight, or at its at its lowest. And if the Congress specifically legislates and makes clear its intent that the president is not to launch first a first strike unless he has the concurrence of the vice president and the secretary of defense, then I believe that it would be very difficult for him to do that. Then I believe that there would be a basis, a rational basis for people in the administration, including the president, the vice president, the vice president, and the secretary of defense, uh, to say to their subordinates, no, don't launch. He, he doesn't have our concurrence. So because it's right there in the legislation. So that's 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 a different story than than the, uh, you know, the HUD saying, OK, you have great credit, so you're going to have to pay more. Yeah, that's 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 the, the regulatory state run amok, in my view, where, where an agency or the, the executive branch in, in proposing regulations is simply going beyond the legislative intent. Yeah. And, and man, this is a great topic. I wish we had twice as much time, but uh, I, I, it also makes me, you know, think back to, if you go back to uh, the, the first use of a nuclear weapon, the secretary of the, or the, uh, uh, the uh, chief of staff of the army wrote a letter that then authorized uh, general spots to, you know, launch nuclear launch and then drop nuclear weapons at a time and place of his choosing. So, and it, you know, it was an open letter. So we've command and control has come a long way since then, but I wonder, you know, during the cold war, we had low yield and tactical nuclear weapons in Europe in particular in Korea that, you know, there was pre-delegation authority. And I wonder, you know, we may come to a time here soon with the, Chinese breakout and the Russians and what the North Koreans, where we may reconstitute that tactical arsenal and you may, may or may not have sort of a pre-delegation authority again. It's a possibility. It's probably, I don't know if it's 50-50 or 90-10 or 10 you know, whatever, but I wonder, is there, would this sort of preclude any, in any ability to have pre-delegation for, you know, battlefield commanders. So for example, if the North Koreans decided to come South or if there was, you know, an attack on Guam or, you know, I, you know, there's different scenarios, you know, attacks on NATO. Uh, do you, how do you see your ability to actually war fight? Because my fear is that the more constraints you put and the more the adversary doesn't think you will actually war fight. I mean, people say, oh, nuclear weapons exist to deter the use of nuclear weapons. And I say, no, no, no. Nuclear weapons exist to fight and win a nuclear war. And the day that your adversary doesn't think you plan to fight and win a nuclear war, your deterrent is ineffective. So true. And so that's a great point. I'm always just concerned. I mean, I can empathize with the with you know your argument. It's it's not crazy. It's not irrational. It's a perfectly solid, sound concern that we would never want a president to to make a terrible mistake that 
could lead us into nuclear war. Absolutely, perfectly reasonable thing to want. I I always worry about those second and third order effects and what they might mean. And so, so I just, as we're, you know, we, we've gone long, but I want, I wanted to get this, get your take on that. And how do you constrain the system such that it does exactly what you've, you know, written legislation for it to do? Yes. Well, Adam, I think, of course, first of all, I think we're fortunate that there are no longer, you know, nuclear artillery shells or the Davy Crockett, you know, nuclear bazooka, these crazy things that were really down at the, at the, at the low, low unit level. Uh, of course, the Army and the Marine Corps now have nothing nuclear and the Navy, uh, you know, only no surface ships have nuclear weapons. So so really, you know, you've got Air Force bombers, you've got the intercontinental ballistic missiles and you've got the nuclear launch sub- submarine launch ballistic missiles. That's it. So in that sense, we no longer have to worry about lower units, uh, you know, using some, some kind of minimal tactical nuclear weapon, battlefield intended nuclear weapon. They're simply not there. Um, I, so I don't see that as a likelihood, um, given the weapons that exist in our stockpile right now and are out in the field. Man, what a great topic. I'm I'm really glad you came on today, Dave. This was a great topic. I would encourage everybody go read the article. It's a great article. It's well researched. Uh, it's a fun read, and uh, you know we'll have to have you back on in the future as you because you know you're now Nuclecast sort of legal specialist, and so now you belong <laughs> to Nuclecast for our for legal special issues. And so we appreciate you signing up to do that. Uh, so we'll have you on again in the future. It was a, a great podcast. So thanks for coming, Dave. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. I really appreciate it. And thanks to you, the listeners. Sorry we went over, but this was a great topic. So hopefully you'll listen next time on Nuclecast. Well, afterthoughts. I'll be honest. I really enjoyed that episode with Dave Jonas talking about presidential decision authority. It was, it's a great topic. He wrote a great article. You got to go check it out. I think it's the journal of national security law. Um, it just came out uh, here in 2023. So take a look. Um, I'm not sure, you know, like if you listen to the episode, you, you know, I'm probably not on board with further restrictions, but it's a perfectly reasonable argument to make. And one that we, you know, really should take a hard look at because we want to get it right. Uh, and so, you know, you got to consider all options and all opportunities. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. And hopefully you come out making the best decision possible. So uh, great article. Great chat. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Grunthal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Nuclecast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.